Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Kathleen Nowacek. Kathleen grew up Kathleen Prillo in Elizabeth, New Jersey. She is the third of four children born to Anthony and Josephine Prillo. After graduating from Mother Seton Regional High School in Clark, New Jersey, she began working for a major pharmaceutical company. However, after 10 years, she was given an opportunity to go into sales. Selling window treatments on the wholesale end felt right to her, as she is very much a people person. It was during this time she was set up on a blind date with Dan Nowacek, They hit it off and were married two years later. After 14 years in sales, the driving was beginning to take its toll. She was given an opportunity to return to the same pharma company she left years earlier. She continues to work there to this day as an executive assistant. She has also acquired her Mad Dog Spin Instructor certification as well as ACE Strength and Conditioning certification and now teaches spin and weight classes. She has always enjoyed writing short stories and poems for her own pleasure. Hello there, everyone. Thanks, listeners, for joining in today. I'd like to welcome Kathy. And I'm not going to pronounce her last name because she's going to do that for me. I guarantee I probably would mess it up. So I'm going to let her do that in just a second. Our topic today centers around the loss of a spouse, specifically due to a terminal illness. This is something I have experienced myself I have to say out of the instances that I suffered grief due to loss of someone I cared a lot about, losing Tom was the hardest thing I think I have ever experienced in my life. So Kathy and I have some parallels in our life. You may hear more about that as we go forward. So Kathy, could you please give our listeners just kind of a brief summary of what you experienced with your husband? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, my last name is pronounced Nowachek, so it's it's not as bad as it looks. But it looks, <laughs> yeah, it's all consonants. <laughs> okay, Nowachek. Okay. It was. It really was a roller coaster, and that was the best way I can explain it. Because with cancer, you know, you have days where things are looking so good, and you're on this high. And then you take a deep dive because now you're getting bad news. And then there were days with Danny where he would be feeling so great that I was sure he was going to be fine. And then there were other days when he would be doing terrible. So it really was a roller coaster. Yeah, It's a very accurate description. Um, I think I used to say peaks and valleys, but same thing, except I think roller coaster is probably a little more descriptive because, yes, there were many times I felt like screaming. And or I felt sick to my stomach. So I, I think roller coaster nails it. Kathy, from this experience, you decided to write about your journey caring for your husband. And in fact, your book, You're Not a Burden, was recently published. What prompted you to write a book? What prompted me was our first visit to Sloan in New York City. You know, my husband was such a character. And I remember being in the examination room. We were waiting for the doctor to come in. And I was looking out the window and I I was just thinking, I really would like to write about this. And I turned around to see Danny 
He was a character. He did things in doctor's offices that most people wouldn't do, like pull out his e-cigarette and start puffing on it while we're waiting for the doctor. And I just looked at him and I shook my head. I said, oh, my gosh. I said, you know, I really want to write about this journey because now at the time I was sure he was going to beat cancer. So I, I said, maybe I can write about tri the triumph over cancer and have a little humor sprinkled in, right. which I thought, you know, because that's who he was. And um, and I just didn't want to forget about any aspect of the journey. And him doing that made me realize that there's going to be hard times, but there's going to be times when we actually laugh through this. And I didn't want to forget about any of them. And that's what prompted me to start writing about it. Right. Where did the title come from? Did you initially feel caring for him would be a burden or was it due to a comment from somebody? No, believe it or not. I know when he first told me that he wanted to go to Sloan, he said, you know, that's going to mean you driving into New York City. And I said, and he said, and I don't want to be a burden. And I said, Dan, we are a team. We have always been a team. And I want you to remember two things. You're not alone in this and you're not a burden. But that said, it wasn't until last March, I went to visit his brother and his wife. I'm, we were very close, all of us. And it was my niece, Veronica, who was asking me about the book. And she said, um, what's the title? And I said, I don't know. I said, everything I'm thinking of is just not hitting me. So she said, well, you know, and she was asking me questions. And through her process of answering, I, I explained to her what I just explained to you, how, you know, he didn't want to be a burden. And, and I made sure he knew he wasn't alone in this. And she just looked at me and said, that's your title. Mm. And I said, what? And she said, you're not a burden. And I said, oh, my gosh, it didn't even get I didn't even have to take a second to think about it. It hit me right then and there. That's right. the title. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Kathy, an interesting parallel in our lives is that a number of years ago, I also published a book, a focused memoir about the days I spent as a carny, as a single mom with two little girls, although there was a boyfriend in there. I had three simple goals in mind when I wrote my book and saw it to publication. What were your goals for your book? The main, the first goal is I wanted people to know that there was life to be lived after the loss of your love. I also wanted them to know that you will be able to laugh again. And there's no time frame to put that on. I didn't know when I would ever laugh again. I really didn't. It was I, I, there were times that I would say, I, and I love to laugh. So for me, I was like, I don't know that I'll ever laugh again. It was so, it was so hard. And then I wanted them to know that you will be able to take this, you know, this experience and help somebody else. And that is a precious gift. You'll be able to figure out what it is they need or, you know, just, just everyone's different. So you'll be in tune to that. And that's a precious gift to be able to give to somebody is to be able to be there for them. Right. That makes sense. Sometimes as writers, we find in our written words something that might be controversial with family or friends. Sometimes we forge ahead and include it. And yet other times we hit backspace and skip that part of our memory to avoid conflict. Can you think of anything in your book that someone you know might take issue with? Well, only if they know it's them. I, you see, I do write in the book. I was faced with somebody who was very mean and that was not a new thing, but I just didn't think I'd have to deal with it at this time during this time. And I just remember, and, and as difficult as it was and as mind boggling as it was, it was there and I couldn't ignore it. And I just, it wasn't about avoiding conflict and I didn't mention names because I didn't want my book to be disparaging in any way. 
but I mentioned it because if I was going through it, I felt somebody else could be going through through that or something similar. Right. And I wanted them to know you have to move past this, you know, you're because you, you feel like the life is being sucked out of you. Anyway, you don't need a, a human being, another you know person doing that to you. And so I never thought about omitting it because it was what I was going through. And I just wanted people to know that part of it as well. And I just touch on it. I don't go into deep, you know, it's, it's a paragraph. It's nothing. And I do do, I do bring it up twice, but very briefly, but just letting people know, Hey, can you, you know, I'm dealing with this. If, and if they're dealing with it, there's just a way to get past it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So let's put your book aside for a second. Tell us a bit about your interaction with your husband's medical team. Did you feel well informed about everything? Were your questions answered to your satisfaction? Uh, yes, I, I did feel well informed, and I never minded a- asking them questions, even if it meant that I had to ask whatever their answers were. You know, I, had, I would have to ask, well, okay, then, you know, just ask again until what was unclear to me became clear. Mm-hmm. I also had the advantage of I work for a pharmaceutical company, and I know a lot of people in oncology, and they were also very helpful to me. In, in knowing like in certain situations, I would go to them and say, you know, what should I be asking or what should I be, what should I be being told, you know? And so that was really helpful as well. But always ask, just ask until you understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because they're not looking at you like you're stupid. They're, they're, they understand that you don't understand. You don't know what you don't know. Right. Did you ever find yourself disagreeing with your doctors? And if so, how did you handle it? And what was the outcome? No, um, there were when when it, the only thing I can really think of were clinical trials that I wasn't really I didn't think were in the best interest of my husband, specifically when it came to placebo. Um, and I let them know about, you know, and I made that clear to them, but not not in a disagreeing way, just like they would they would pose it and they would. And even with clinical trials, you don't even know if your husband's a candidate. Right. But when it came to placebo, I just both Danny and I felt that we didn't want to be involved in clinical trials with placebo. But, you know, that was, that was a decision we both came to and mainly him. Yeah, we have many, many parallels. Uh, <laughs> I actually at one point in my husband's care, I actually fired one of his doctors from his team. I, I, I mean, They didn't leave the hospital, but I told him that as far as I was concerned, I did not want him taking care of my husband anymore. And wow. this went, you know, up a few levels in the hospital, but I eventually got what I wanted because he was trying to second guess what my husband's neurosurgeon had already put in place. And I trusted my husband's neurosurgeon implicitly. So that for me was just, they were conflicting treatments and I just wasn't having it. So, uh, it, it can get pretty dicey and you do have to be an advocate for that person you love. Definitely. I find especially for someone who is a very strong person with very firm opinions, my husband was perfectly happy to just lie there and let me take care of everything. He didn't, mm-hmm. I don't think he even really wanted to know what was going on. Mm-hmm. 
And I can see that. And what you're saying is so vital because people, I mean, I would have never thought that I would have been able to fire somebody if I felt that I, that they should be off the team. Like you said, not from the hospital, but off the team. So for me, I think what you're saying is so important because people don't know what they are able to do. And if they're not comfortable with someone. Right. And I actually, actually, I did that with his hospice nurse, but he had passed away before they could replace her. I just, I didn't say anything bad about her. I didn't realize that at the time her mother was ill and she didn't seem to have Danny's best interest at heart. So I did call hospice and say, you know, I need to um, have her replaced because I just don't think she has Danny's best interest at heart. They were very apologetic, but he died just within that week. I mean, I didn't know that, you know, but. Sometimes you need to do that. And I had another um, confrontation with his oncologist and team because they wanted him to continue on trials and, I had reached the point where I knew there was no coming back. Actually, I had known that for months, but I wanted to preserve what little bit of quality he had left with his life so that at least he and I could carry on a conversation. Right. And the the drugs were so debilitating for him. So I had a confrontation about that and actually took him off their treatment, much to their dissatisfaction. Um, and had him placed on hospice. So it it can really be a challenge. And that word burden does come creeping into your mind. But at the time, you are so immersed in that experience and yeah. so committed to doing whatever you can to ease their suffering, their anxiety, their fears, even the re- most remote peace, that you don't think of it as a burden at all. In no. fact, me, no. it wasn't until after Tom's funeral when I finally had some time to myself. And I sat there one day and I thought, I don't believe how my life changed so gradually, minute by minute, day by day, mm-hmm. until everything I was doing, I was doing for Tom. I had none of me left. Yes. So your words about having a life afterward really resonate with me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That piece about advocating, whether it's for yourself, it's for a loved one or a friend, when you're receiving devastating news, it's it's good to have take someone else with you if you don't have someone to go with you because it's you need another person, another head to kind of maybe soak in something you're not going to hear, ask a question you wouldn't think of, and don't be afraid to keep asking more questions until you understand, like Kathy said. Um, or, you know, saying, well, what if, or what about this? And what is that going to help? And just please advocate. <laughs> it's, I, it was, it's you, What you were saying is vitally important. Do not be meek about this because right. this information is so powerful and you need, you just need to keep asking. And if yeah. somebody, any doctor or any nurse makes you feel like you're being a pain in the butt, Right. You have to say, maybe you don't have our best interests at heart. Let's, re- you know, let's look elsewhere for, or let's look into another doctor to replace you. Because exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is vitally important. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people will either be intimidated by the fact that it's a doctor telling you this is what, you know, this is what should happen. And a lot of people just nod their heads. Okay. Whether they want to do it or not, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it. And so don't be intimidated by the fact that they're doctors. And yeah, definitely. If if you're if you just don't mesh with the team or anybody, then find someone else. 
And, and you would do that and you, cause you would do that with any part of your life, right. You know, or, or any other part of your life. So right. why not? I mean, you know, like you said, just because they're doctors, they're not better than you. Right. You know? No. And if they think about it, put it in this perspective as well, that you, whether it's you personally or you by the health insurance that you carry and pay for, you yes. are paying them. That means they work for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So don't forget for a second who's the boss. Right. <laughs> and that, is, again, so important. Yep. So, Kathy, at what point did you know that there was no coming back from this illness for your husband? What did you do at that time and how did you prepare yourself for the inevitable? Oh, gosh, that that was such a blind side. I never I didn't see it coming. Um, it was the day that he was told he was terminal. And, um, you know, I, Danny and I cried the whole way home. We just cried the whole way home. And when we got home, you know, we just were there for each other. We talked about everything, but we always did that. You know, we just didn't let any, we didn't hide anything from each other. We talked about everything just as we've done as we've done throughout our marriage. And that was, that was healing because you have to talk about these things to suppress them or feel like he didn't feel like he couldn't talk to me. I didn't feel like I couldn't talk to him. You know, we, we just laid it out, whatever was on our minds, whenever it was, we talked as far as how I, you know, I could not prepare. It's funny that you asked me that because a friend of mine asked me that. And I said to her, if there's a way to prepare, share it with me because I don't know what that looks like. I really don't. I, um, I, had to rely on my faith to get me through every single day. And that's, and it does, it did, and it still does. Um, but there's no, there's no way to prepare for the love of your life being gone. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's, I mean, there's just no, I mean, some people may have something that works for them, but for me, there was yeah, it was just my faith. And I had to just take it day by day and just be there for him. Just be right. there for him in every single way I could. Even when you know something is coming, you you just even you you know it's going to happen. It doesn't necessarily make it any easier at all. You know, I think I feel like you know that the the grief is just kind of starting to build over a longer period of time. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that's what they refer to as anticipatory grief, because you know. But I think Kathy, in a lot of ways, and I don't know if this will put it into perspective for you or not. I think you were preparing yourself. What you did was set aside that grief because after all, even though it was deemed terminal, you didn't know when, how, what condition he would be in by that time. So those were all questions you couldn't answer. So instead of thinking about them over and over and over and letting that anxiety build up, you set it aside and focused on something you could take care of, which was your husband. Well, that's very true. That's so very I think it, that was your way of preparing. You focused on something that you could do, that you could do something about. And that was to give him whatever happiness was left and strengthening a strong relationship and just being there for him, being part of that team. Mm-hmm. You're right. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did. So again, like I mentioned before, parallels are in our lives. And I'm so grateful to Matthew Marini for introducing us. 
Matthew was a guest on our podcast previously, and he has now surfaced in my network a few times, Hmm. helping us out with referrals and everything. As I mentioned, losing my husband has been so far the most difficult event in my life. It had an impact that I initially underestimated and actually is partly responsible for Stephanie and I creating this podcast. I, too, thought about writing a book, but actually, I think this podcast serves a greater need. And for me personally, it helps me on my grief journey. Our time grows a little bit short for today, Kathy, but before we wrap up, We want to offer you a few moments to speak directly to our audience. Tell them again about your book, where they can purchase it, as well as anything else you'd like them to hear from you without our questions leading the way. Oh, sure. Um, First of all, my book is online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, and it may be where other booksellers are, but those are the three that I know that you can purchase it online. But Kathy, I feel the same way. I'm so grateful to Matthew for introducing us. My husband's death was the worst thing that has happened to me so far. And like you, I totally underestimated the impact it would have. And I believe in so, I believe so much in what you and Stephanie are doing because I see the importance and I agree that there's such a need for this podcast. People are still reluctant to talk about grief. I mean, after all the, you know, after all this time, we know, you know, people die and, 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 Oftentimes we're going to grieve not just once in our lives mm-hmm. and they or they and they are reluctant to talk about it or they feel that they can't talk about it. So I think that whatever we can do to make that an easier subject for them to broach that, you know, I, I'm always willing to be a part of that. One of the things my book brings to light to those grieving is to let your family and friends know you need to talk or you need to cry. That's what I did. I had no inhibitions about doing it, about reaching out to people. And what I found was those I reached out to were so willing to just be there. And I believe people want to be there for those of us who are grieving. They just don't know how. And what I also point out in my book uh, to those who have family members who are grieving is that no magic words are necessary, nor are they needed. And they're not expected. Uh, Those of us who are grieving, we know there's no magic words. It's the small things like listening. Uh, lending a shoulder to cry on, inviting them over, calling or texting them just to say, I'm thinking about you. And these little, these things just go a long way. And there's a few examples in my book about what friends and family members did for me while I was going through the grieving process. And it meant everything to me. Nice thoughts and memories. Um, I do, just before I give a final wrap up here, in your book on page 74, One year later, one year after he died, and I'm only going to read the first verse, Kathy, because to go any further would be jeopardizing my emotions. Mm -hmm. Go right ahead. (laughs) Thank you. July 19, 2020, you have your name on the bottom of this poem called You and Me. With arms wrapped around me, you'd look at me and say, Honey, when I'm gone, are you going to be okay? At the time, I couldn't imagine just how my life would be, facing every day, no longer you and me. I told you, not at first, that much I knew for sure. And now it's one year later, and I've managed to endure. The words in your book, Kathy, were so special for me. And I have this book by my chair that I sit at 
almost every evening. And every so often, I'll open it back up and read another paragraph again. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being our guest, for writing your book, for sharing your thoughts, your memories, your emotions with all of us. It's a book not to be missed for a grieving spouse. To our listeners, it's another great episode. Tune in again next week. And remember to take care of yourself as we all continue to live in grief. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.